we were just about to head back to the, the tent and start the walk back and we heard explosions mm. and then we heard more explosions and you know that was the first my first experience to getting mortared you know i saw them in the distance and they were just dropping them in it was like boom boom, Whoa. boom. it didn't click until that point you know that uh what's the expression we're not in kansas anymore yeah <laughs> so, wow uh, that was my first dose of reality Welcome back to the show, guys. Digital Social Hour. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, with a great guest today, Jeff Petter. How's it going? Good, man. Thank you for having me. First podcast, man. My first podcast. Breaking your <laughs> podcast virginity. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love, uh, since people don't know who you are, probably, I'd love for you to, to kind of explain what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit about my background. Uh, born in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, ended up having... Um, broken household initially my um, parents got divorced and my mom moved us up to uh, Massachusetts and uh, I've been there ever since um, we lived with my grandparents growing up did the whole uh, school thing there and went through my kind of rebellious childhood phase and figuring out life with separated parents and mm. and all the stigma and challenges that come with that and jumped into uh, figuring out how do I find myself and my confidence within, you know, within this background, within mm. uh, trying to prove, you know, and, and being played back and forth between my parents over, uh, you know, figuring out my identity, mm -hmm. who I wanted to be. And I realized, you know, around 17, I didn't want to live home again. So joined the Marines, um, crash course in confidence and life <laughs> experience. And my recruiter told me that they encouraged you to go to college and that uh, this was at the beginning of the war. So I graduated school in 2003 mm. and I signed up uh, for the military September uh, 2002. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of at the beginning of the Iraq war and did all my training, ended up, uh, I applied to one school. I got into UMass, uh, the business program there. Mm -hmm. And while I was, uh, while I was going to school, after I had done my first, uh, you know, uh, boot camp combat training in my specialty school, uh, I then went to school for a semester and then got activated to go to Iraq in 2004 and did a tour there, came back, went to school, started a business and uh, ended up having to go back to Iraq again. I had 12 days left on my contract. I got involuntarily extended for 400 days and went wow. back again in 2009. You didn't want to go back the second time. I did not want to go back the second. I didn't want to go the first time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I thought I was going to school. You know, I, I wasn't against going. I just, you know, 19 years old, you're not really prepared to deal with that type of reality. You right. know, from an overprotective household uh, with limited life experience, you grow up in a bubble, you yeah. know, like everyone. Yeah. And so what was that like in Iraq? Uh, I would say, you know, the first dose of reality, we, uh, I remember we, we left like August 14th, uh, 2004 mm -hmm. and we got into Kuwait. Um, we got into Kuwait at one in the morning and it was over a hundred degrees, mm. you know, and that was my first time being in a desert like that, you know, in that environment. The next day we flew, uh, I was stationed at Al-Assad Air Base, uh, in Western Iraq in mm -hmm. the Al-Anbar province. And we got into Iraq and we lived in a tent city mm. and while we were transitioning, you know, we lived in tents for a, a couple of weeks while we transitioned to replace the unit that we were taking over. Mm. So, uh, you know, the first day I remember we I walked to the chow hall, you have to have your flak jacket and Kevlar. So if you want to eat, you know, breakfast, this is before they had any kind of transportation system set up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back then it was kind of like the Wild West. This was one of Saddam's main air bases that was just taken over. And I remember I had to walk to breakfast, just like, you know, grandpa's telling those stories, you know, back in my day, I had to walk five miles, yeah, yeah. you know, 
back and forth. So I had to walk to the chow. It was a couple miles and you had to wear your flak jacket, your Kevlar helmet, your ammunition, you know, and your rifle and all your gear, yeah. you know, and long sleeve clothing. So, uh, you know, hot as hell. it was over, over a hundred degrees Jeez. and I walked to the chow. I went with a friend and we finished breakfast and we walked outside and we were just about to head back to the, the tent and start the walk back and we heard explosions mm. and then we heard more explosions. And, you know, that was the first, my first experience to getting mortared. You know, I saw them in the distance and they were just dropping them in. It was like, boom, boom, Whoa. boom, boom, coming towards us. And I'm sitting there standing, you know, growing up in Newton, Massachusetts, with no experience, you know, I'm thinking fireworks, yeah, yeah. you know, you're just watching this and, you know, some gunnery sergeant comes and grabs us and makes us take cover, you know, cause he's like, you didn't get into business to run payroll, did you? That's okay. I didn't either. Now there's Gusto. Gusto not only offers payroll, but also benefits onboarding and HR all in one place to more than 300,000 businesses. Maybe you want federal, state, and local payroll taxes to be filed automatically, no matter where your employers work. Or maybe you want to offer a 401k plan to help your employees save for retirement. Do you have compliance with regulations? Three out of four employers say Gusto makes it easier to be compliant with the government. With Gusto's simple, guided software and user-friendly interface, payroll and HR are no longer exhausting, they are rewarding. Gusto was built for small businesses from the start. Gusto takes the pain out of payroll benefits and HR and puts the joy back into running your business. Gusto also integrates with your favorite tools, tools like QuickBooks, Xero, Google, and more. Want all this and more with no hidden fees? Try it out for three months for free at gusto.com social. That's gusto.com social. We're getting hit and it just, it, it didn't click until that point, you know, that, uh, what's the expression? We're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. That was, uh, that was my first dose of reality to being in uh, in a combat environment, you know, where you're 19, you don't have control of your environment. I was a junior Marine, so I had every detail you could think of. Yeah. You know, you just get assigned to, to jobs and, you know, you have to experience a lot of, uh, a lot of harsh realities at a very young age, which is hard to process. Yeah, that's terrifying, man. And you mentioned you grew up in a single family. My parents got divorced too. What's your advice for kids dealing with, you know, separated parents and kind of isolated and feeling lonely? I would say what their uh, what your parents are going through has nothing to do with you. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I, I think like uh, like chess. You know, everyone's playing playing their own game in life. So your yeah. both parents are, are trying to navigate life as best they can, and they have good intention in good intentions. But sometimes they um, play the kids, you know, against the other parent. You know, they use the pieces that they have to work with. Right. And I don't think there's malicious intent. It just sometimes, you know, the, the kids are collateral damage. So the key is, it's not losing yourself in your parents' drama and realizing you have nothing to prove to anybody else other than yourself. Yeah. You also mentioned you built confidence through the Marines, but before that you weren't as confident. I wasn't confident because I didn't, you know, I never had um, a steady, since my dad lived in Georgia and my mom was in uh, Massachusetts, she was a single mom working. We lived with my grandparents, but I didn't really have a steady male, you know, role model on a day-to-day -day basis or someone to kind of show me the ropes or mm. go play basketball with at nighttime or, you know, do things the way you do in a, in a normal family. So I, uh, I went through a rebellious stage, you know, I tried to, I, I was kind of, um, I didn't know this as a kid, but I had ADHD from a very young age. So right. I was hyperactive and I always had to, you know, go, 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 go. So my outlet was pushing the red button. I mm. would just kind of do things and see what happens. I, I got a fake ID when I was 15 that said I was wow, 18. That's early. I got a tattoo on New Year's Eve when I was 15. Wait, um, why'd you do 18 instead of 21 on the fake? 
because I wanted to get a tattoo. Oh. And it, it was like one of those international student identity cards. You okay. know? And I, the tattoo artist didn't think twice about it. They're just like, all right, you know, if you're going to pay me cash, done. Wow. Do you still have the tattoo? Yeah, yeah, I can show you. What is it? It's a uh, dragon with a sword. Oh, dragon. People love the dragons. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. For 15? So I got it redone a oh, couple okay. years ago. You know, <laughs> it, it was interesting because everyone asked, is, is there meaning behind it? And, you know, funny story, I told my mom that uh, it meant courage, luck, and strength, um, which I just made up on the spot because sh she was going <laughs> to me. And she's like, all right, well, I guess if, you know, if you need that, that's fine. And she was telling everyone for years after that that's why I did that. But wow. uh, the reality was I, you know, it looked cool. I wanted to stand out in a school. You know, we're all trying to find our identity. Right, right. now, kids are doing it with social media, you right. know, and, and, and trying to showcase who they are. Back then, it was how you dressed, how, mm. you know, everyone had more of an opportunity to be an individual, right. I, I feel, than they do right now. What are your thoughts overall on social media and kids using it and them being addicted to it and all the cyberbullying? Like, what do you uh, think of that? You know, it, it's challenging because, you know, the, the confidence question you asked me a second ago with with how, how we find our confidence, I think kids are just more insecure nowadays than ever because, right. you know, they're seeking affirmation from people they don't know. They're, mm. they're looking for uh, confidence and affirmation in all the wrong places. So they, they justify and validate who they are in this world based on what a bunch of strangers think and say about them. Mm -hmm. You know, they haven't, like I said before, we, we grow up in a little bubble. So all we know is, is the limited exposure that we have. Yeah, I spend a lot of time now mentoring uh, a lot of teenagers and, mm -hmm. and um, I do executive coaching and work with CEOs and their families, you know, because uh, the struggle for the younger generation is real right now. Mm -hmm. The prospects of buying a house, of getting started in life seems insurmountable for so many people. Yeah. You know, how, how do you how do you figure out how to move forward and uh, get started in this world when it seems like the deck is so stacked against you? So this challenge with social media is we're exposed to this constant exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's showcasing all of the things that they have or, the, or that they don't even have. Mm. You know, it, there's, there's a lot, a lot of it is curated right, right. And, and fake. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, everyone's putting out there to the world, you know, this ideal world and showing, you know, <laughs> edited photos of themselves and how perfect they are all the time. Mm -hmm. When the reality is on the inside, you know, most of these people are miserable, they're mm. struggling. You know, they're trying to showcase it to try to justify to themselves that they're good enough instead of, you know, building that confidence and saying, all right, I don't need you to affirm me in order for me to realize that what where I'm at in life and what I'm doing and what I have to offer is good enough. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of kids are, are really fixated on um, they need somebody else to tell them that it's OK, give them permission before they do something. Yeah. So when you're mentoring teenagers, what's your approach? Are you trying to limit their time on social media? So it's not about, I, I don't think that's possible. I think social media is so ingrained in, in this culture and society right now that the only way to, um, the only way to limit it is to understand uh, the purpose of why you're using it. Mm. I, I feel like kids are going to be too excluded if, if they cut themselves off of social media, mm -hmm. then they're out of the loop. This is how everyone communicates now. You know, I mean, right. the confidence thing about ask, when I was growing up, if if I uh, if I wanted something, I had to have the balls to ask for it. So, you know, I, I remember, you know, as a teenager, I get dropped off at the mall. And if I thought a girl was cute, I, you know, I, I'd have to have the confidence to go up and I would just go and talk to them and, and ask them out or yeah. see what works. And I might have gotten a lot of no's, but I got a lot of yeses eventually. And what I learned from is what worked and what didn't work. You know, the confidence, we anything we do 
we're going to suck it to begin with because we have no experience with. Yeah. You know, the, the trouble right now is kids are afraid to take that plunge. They're afraid to be vulnerable. They don't want to try something unless they're the exception, unless they're awesome at it. But how are you going to be at awesome at something that you've never tried before? <laughs> yeah. I like what you said about the confidence thing and the father figure. I never put those two together because I grew up without a father too. And I lacked confidence growing up my whole life, even though I was, you know, super athletic, super smart. I never really connected the dots on that. Well, I, I think sometimes you, you, you know, when you, when we're growing up, we're afraid. We're afraid yeah. of a lot of things, you know. And having somebody knowing there's backup, you know, that that someone's going to have your back and support you, and it's just always there. Like I knew my dad, you know, was there, but he was in Atlanta, and you know, it was a phone call away. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that physical structure. I didn't feel like like let's say I got bullied in school or something happened. You know, I didn't have that that backup. I was on my own. Mm. You know, and and the challenge was I was kind of that individual individual where, uh, you know, to fit in, I, I took every job. We, we didn't have much money. So uh, we lived with my grandparents, but we were in an affluent town. Mm -hmm. So in order to fit in with the other kids, in order to have the stuff and the new outfits, I got one new outfit at the beginning of the year because that's what was financially reasonable for us. Right. Um, but to have, you know, what the other kids had, I had to earn it. So mm. I worked every job you could think of from, you know, 12 years old, you know, up until uh, college and, and onward, wow. you know, to, to build your financial independence. So I was chasing, trying to fit in, maybe similar to kids are doing now with social media. Yeah, yeah. I, I would work hard, I would buy the things that I want. And, you know, uh, I realized that that wasn't the path and that wasn't, <laughs> you know, the value that, you know, most of these people you don't even talk to anymore. No, none you of know? them. I tried to fit in too, so it's funny you said that. I think it's like a natural thing that you wanna be part of a group almost. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a huge struggle right now with, with mental health and, and with, you know, uh, especially kids because of the social media aspect, mm. you know, where, where they just constantly feel inadequate mm. with who they are, with the hand they're dealt. So I did, um, after the Marines, when I, when I got to school, uh, I had to pay for my education and I thought, what can I do that I'm going to make enough money to pay for school? I got a little bit from the GI Bill because I was in the reserves. Um, and having deployed for a year, I got a little bit more from that. But what I learned from uh, school is, you know, think smarter, not harder. Right. So I'm like, what can I do to make enough money? And, and we didn't really have social media was just starting like the Facebook, I think, just came out. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't we didn't have the networking connections that the Internet provides now. So I got into personal training. I uh, went to a gym. I asked if I could work as a trainer. I had some experience because I worked at a gym in high school and I shadowed trainers mm -hmm. and so and I went to Iraq and I did all the military training and stuff. Yeah. So I started training and and I um, I got this job and the guy said, yeah, you can start in a couple of weeks. So I'm like, okay, well I got to get certified. So I, I you know I looked up a certification course, did a crash course over. I traveled to, I think to New Hampshire, did a course in a weekend and wow. got my certification. Came in, started training, and the deal was I had one month free and then I had to pay five hundred dollars a month afterwards. So. I went out and I did that and I hustled within two months, you know, it was the fake it till you make it type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where I, I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't have my shtick down, but the more I did it, the better I became. Mm. And within like a month or two, I was making two grand a week in cash. Nice. You know, as a, a 20 year old. That's a lot back then yeah, too. Oh, a lot back then. So th this was uh, in 20 years 2006, ago, right? uh, yeah. in spring of 2006. I started in uh, fall of 05, you know, and then I did that for the next four years while I was in school. Nice. I, I, uh, so I worked full time. I did the Marines on the weekend. I volunteered Jesus. on a, a board of directors for a Big Brother, Big Sister program. Nice. And um, 
tried to <laughs> fit in a girlfriend and, you know, doing my ac- academics. Wow, you go all um, out, man. How were you able to balance leaving the Marines? Because a lot of people get PTSD and they struggle to get back into society. Yeah, so that, that was a challenge. I, you know, I have to say, I, I'm, I'm not someone who's phased by blood and guts. And like, I'm, I'm the type of person, if, if there's a burning building and there's a way that I can uh, help somebody and, you know, in, in a realistic fashion, I'm going to run it. Mm. You know, if, if, if there's a triage situation, I, I definitely don't, um, I don't panic. I learn, you know, what, one of the big lessons, you know, that, that I, I preach a lot and teach people is learning how to accept what you can't control and try to move forward in a positive way. Mm. When I was overseas and I had to deal with a lot of complicated situations that were hard for me to process because right. I didn't have the tools or outlets, um, you know, especially at such a young age, you know, no one, you, guys back then, you don't want to say that you're struggling. You know, yeah. guy, I think I think the mantra for guys, you know, we, we're not al- we weren't allowed to say anything's a problem because then, you know, in, in the guy code in the guy, you know, club, you're you're looked down on. Right. You know, you're the you're problem. soft. Yeah, you're, you're soft. You're the problem. So it's not that um, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of death and unfortunately a lot more, uh, you know, from suicide, wow. uh, which is a huge issue that I'll talk to you about in a minute. But the um, I think coming home, it's it's the that you're in this mode of focusing on what's right in front of you on day-to-day survival, day-to-day functioning. I have to do my job. What's, you know, you can't really think of the bigger picture because you don't know what that's going to be. You don't know when you're going to come home. You know, you don't have control over anything. Right. So accept what you can't control and try to move forward in a positive way. Hmm. Prime example, my, uh, my second deployment, I had 12 days left on my contract. I got involuntarily extended for 400 days. Wow. And in that process, I, um, I had, uh, you know, my life fell apart because I, I, you know, my way of dealing with, with coming back from overseas the first time was I kept myself so busy that I didn't have to feel anything. Mm. And fortunately I did it in a productive way. I worked out and I, I trained and I, you know, I did all these things that, that really helped me, mm. even though I was still struggling on the inside that no one, no one saw, mm. you know, uh, and, and I took that out on myself in, in, you know, private ways, maybe by gambling, by, you know, doing a, a lot just of distracting, just distracting and, and trying to fill a void, trying to make myself feel something or feel right. some type of purpose. Cause I think what happens with a lot of PTSD is you become desensitized mm. to a lot of life. You become desensitized to experiences and things that are otherwise, um, not normal for other people. Right. And when you have all these experience and these, in order to function, you have to let go of that and figure out a way, accept what you can't control, try to move forward in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So I took that mantra and I looked at this deployment. I could either do a job and, and be pissed off that this is going to happen. And, and I requested to not have to go because I had a business opportunity that was phenomenal that I put so much energy into and I had to walk away from and I had to give up all my clients and, you know, step, step out of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine just walking away from your life for a whole year crazy and then you don't know what's going to happen after scary so my attitude going into it was i'm going to do the best job i can and because my life will be easier yeah if if life is going to happen either way you know which path do you want to be on the bumpy road or the smooth path you know and in this situation i looked at it as all right i have to go either way i have no control over this i'm going to do the best possible job i can Mm. given the context because that's what i have control over yeah you know and the outcome was freedom flexibility and you know ease of access everything yeah. was easier because of how proficient and efficient i was at uh 
at my job. Oh, nice. So after your second tour, you came back. Did you distract yourself again, or what yeah. was the method of uh, healing? Unfortunately, so I got I got married before my uh, my second deployment, and that that didn't end, end up uh, working out. It was um, she was sick with Lyme disease at the time, and oh, man. you know uh, w before we got married, and I was concerned more concerned. I proposed to her right before I left, and I was more concerned about um, you know coming back than I was about. Uh, <laughs> than I was about, uh, you know, worrying about being married or anything else. And I knew that if something happened to me, she'd get the benefits. Originally, we were going to go to Afghanistan, then it got switched to Iraq. Mm. And so, you know, life was just hitting me all at once. So my life fell apart. And then I was trying to piece it back together while still giving myself uh, motivation and something to look forward to, right. something to come home to. So I came home, I was married, I, I was depressed for a bit. I, I sat on the couch, this is before online poker got banned and I would, you know, I was depressed. I used to, you know, play online poker all day, every day because wow. I didn't want to work, I didn't want to do anything. You know, and it wasn't that it was so hard, it's just that the pace of, of um, how many people depend on you and, and the responsibility, you're going like 100 miles an hour and then when you come back to regular life, it's not relatable, you're going 20 miles an hour. Mm, you know, so you slow. have this, this huge, you know, uh, right. adrenaline rush of these constant situations that you're in mm. and then it's a crash course back into, it's like in the Hurt Locker when he comes back and all of a sudden he's looking in the cereal aisle going, uh, <laughs> you know, what's this all about? Yeah. So coming back, you know, that, that, that was, that was definitely a challenge. My outlet, I used, I used to try to give myself pep talks to talk myself out of being depressed and, and struggling. And that doesn't work. I, th I think depression is a chemical imbalance in your brain. And it's uh, a temporary thing that we all experience at different, you know, different times in our lives. Yeah. So my outlet was getting back into the gym, starting exercising and, you know, fixing it by giving myself the dopamine and serotonin, you know, and, and the positive hormones that pull yourself out of it. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, because people really struggle with it and they don't really teach you about it, right? When you're in training. No, no one talks about it. It, yeah. I, it wasn't until many years, years later. You know, I, 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 unfortunately, I've learned a lot of lessons. I'm 38 now. So, you know, going through that, I, I didn't necessarily treat uh, relationships or, or treat people, you know, the way I always had good intentions, but uh, I was disconnected. Mm. You know, I, I was I was stuck. You know, imagine just kind of hitting pause in your life because you're trying to process all of these complex things, everything yeah. you've been through. You know, we're all broken as kids and we're trying to fix ourselves for, you know, the duration of our life. And then add in the military and deployments and, you know, working and being exhausted and run down and, and trying to please everyone, the, the chasing the pursuit of when I get here, then I'll be happy. Yeah. You know, I was, this endless pursuit that isn't real. Yeah. You know, there's no point. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of experiences that are ever going to bring happiness to you. You have to find that for yourself. Mm. So would you say it took you a while to find that true happiness? Yeah, very long time. Uh, I mean, now I've I've done one of the reasons I'm I'm coming here today is is you know what I my mission right now uh, the most fulfilling thing that fills my cup is helping other people in, mm -hmm. in a really meaningful way, you know, uh, kind of putting your money where your mouth is, is I, I think there's a huge disconnect, uh, you know, for kids nowadays with confidence, with um, goal setting, with mm -hmm. opportunities, with financial literacy, you know, uh, they're, they're wildly unprepared for the real world. You know, and the world is continuously changing, so they're just falling behind. Mm -hmm. Everything from you know dating, from the lack of you know young viable men to girls, from the you know the online dating thing is is a nightmare for kids. Right. You know, I have two stepdaughters, and and the challenge for them, you know, everyone. Uh, 
no one communicates. Everyone's so used to swiping left. You know, mm. you, you give up on somebody before you've, you know, on, on looks alone before <laughs> you've even given them the opportunity to get to know their personality. Right. Most relationships we know that are happy are because they're best friends because they get along well. Well, how do you determine that from a photo? that you spend half a second on because you're so used to swiping, right. you know, through Instagram or, I mean, if, if you watch any young kid swipe on their social media thing. They're like rapid yeah. fire. Rapid fire, you're like, they pick up their phone, it's, it's this subconscious reaction and they yeah. flip through 20 things, you know, and put it down. I don't even think they know they looked at their phone. No, it's like a habit. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I, uh, the attention span keeps getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the big problems with it is, is really, uh, people stepping back slowing down a little bit and learning how to communicate with one another mm. give things a shot try things setting goals for yourself you know i i think we're lacking a lot of motivation and direction mm. in life right now i agree man it's scary between that the public education system and the, and the news outlets it's tough to uh to know what to listen to right well you just bombarded with challenges and negativity and, and, and the highlight reel, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then, then you're, then you're on the uh, other side, you're smashed with, I'm not good enough, you know, yeah. because I'm not the exception at every single thing. I mean, think about it. If you were a singer, what if you're just a decent singer and you love singing? Well, mm -hmm. you should do that, you know, just because you're, you're not, you know, going to be on American Idol or, or, you know, have your own album doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue what you love doing. Right. You know, I, I mean, I like sports. I'm not particularly, I've just gotten into pickleball. Yeah. It's fun, you know, but other sports, I, I'm 6'5". You, you said you're 6'6". Yeah. Uh, six, six, six. Six. Everyone asks you, do you play basketball? Every day. I love basketball, but I'm not very good at it. Yeah. Why can't I still just enjoy playing? Why do I have to be <laughs> awesome just because I'm tall? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I feel bad for tall people that don't play sports because every day they get reminded, why don't you play? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. But the, uh, you know, one of the issues that, that comes with all this is that, um, the mental health crisis that comes from the social media and not feeling worthy, not feeling good enough, is this fear to try. Mm. You know, we can't become good at anything unless we try it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the programs I work on, uh, you know, that I've designed is called Drive, and it's about you know goal setting. And one of the acronyms for it is you want to decide what your goal is, decide what you want to do, where you want to be. Then you want to reflect on what has or hasn't worked for you in the past with it, right? You mm -hmm. want to look at that goal and that objective and and think about. Um, the definition of crazy, trying the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So we mm -hmm. wanna look at what we've already done, then we wanna innovate and implement. So we wanna come up with a strategy that we can then implement on a daily basis, small habits on a regular basis turn into big results. Mm. So little things that we can implement on a daily basis that are gonna give us the opportunity, you know, to move in a new direction, right. you know, take a road. We're always gonna hit roadblocks in life, but sometimes it's just about stepping back and changing your perspective. Yeah, so like the 1% a day philosophy almost. Yeah, so better. small little things and then visualize and execute. Yeah. You know, come up with things that are within your reach that you can do. Sometimes for most people, like kids who are stuck nowadays, it's about habits. Good habits compound on themselves, bad habits compound on themselves. Right. So get up early, get started, start getting active, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is for you, stop comparing yourself to what everyone else is doing and focus on what are you capable of, right? Right, that comparing stuff is deadly, man. Cause I used to do that and it took a, took a toll on me mentally. Even though I was like successful in most people's eyes, the comparing just something about it is detrimental to growth. I, I have a young kid, you know, that I mentor right now. And when I met him, uh, he was 14, he couldn't do a single push up, not a regular one. So I yeah. said, all right, we're gonna we're gonna solve this. You and I we're gonna do 300 push-ups a day, <laughs> right? For six months until we get to fifty thousand. Wow! Because that was a goal that was so 
insurmountable, you know, and unattainable at that point. Yeah. And, and the point of it was seeing that with perseverance and with follow through, you know, comes the accomplishment, comes the outcome. Anything worthwhile that we value in life, we have to work really hard for it to get the value and reward. Anything mm. that comes too easy for us, we don't value. You yeah. know, if, if you just win the lottery, you don't really get very excited about it. If someone just gives you what you want all the time, sure, you feel good in the moment, but yeah. you know, th it's very transient. And you're going to lose it too quick. Of course. You know, if, if you go to school, you have to work really hard in college, you know, to get the degree. Yeah. I had to work hard in the Marines to graduate and become a Marine to, right. you know, go overseas. You have to go through the tough experiences. You know, the best lessons in life are challenged. Yeah. So, you know, the, the goals of, of figuring out something that motivates and drives you. This kid, uh, you know, he worked really hard. He, he did them against the table initially and then, you know, a chair and yeah. worked, the modified worked his way ones. Up. And then, you know, within no time, he was doing, you know, 10 to 20 in, you know, per set uh, with perfect form. Wow. And then he got up to doing, you know, 30 sets of 30. So he would do 10 sets of 30 every single day. We took, we gave about a two week window, you know, off in that time period. Wait, you know, so it only took two weeks to get to six, that? No, to do 50,000 took us six months. Oh, okay. That's so still six, impressive. Six man. months. Yeah. And yeah. I did it with him. You know, it, it was, I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. Oh, nice. You know, so you lead I, by example. Yeah. Same. I, I uh, during um, this, uh, uh, a primary school was struggling for activities for kids. So I volunteered and worked for them doing uh, strength and conditioning, mm. you know, with young kids and, um, you know, just to give them an outlet and, and a challenge. And I had this one kid who came to me and he's like, I want to do a hundred thousand steps. Hmm. You know, that's my, that's In my a day? goal. What's that? In a day? In a day. hundred thousand steps. So I'm like, all right, that's about 50, uh, 50 miles. Yeah. So I said, let's do it. So I picked a day, uh, about a month away. And we started training for it. And, you know, the week before I made him do 20 miles with me to make sure that he could do it. Yeah. And he wasn't able to run it, but we walked it. Okay. So it took us, uh, I set up on a bike path, 10 miles apart, two cars, and we were self-supported. I, I provided all the nutrition and the training leading up to it. And so we were safe and we had an outlet. Nice. And unfortunately that day it was um, 42 degrees and pouring rain. <laughs> <laughs> so... That, uh, that so you didn't do it? No, of course we did it. Oh, you did yeah, it? <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you know, you, you can't pick the weather. I mean, it's like wow. David Goggins. You, Most you know, people would have canceled. Never, never. No, if, if I make my mind up, this that was the, the window I had to do it. So, you know, we're going to get wow. it done. So, you know, I remember he, he was struggling a lot by about mile 40. Okay. You know, almost kind of on the verge of tears because it was, it, was, uh, it, it was painful. Was it you know, raining the whole time? The whole time. Yeah, it was Jeez. pouring on us. Pouring and cold. But luckily, actually, the, uh, uh, we just changed our socks, you okay. know, every, every like 15 miles. Got it. Ten or, every 10 miles, we would, uh, if, if we were soaked enough. Um, so we would go back and forth and eat. It took us 15 hours. Uh, <laughs> it got to a point where I couldn't, uh, you couldn't run after a certain point because he, he wasn't really, we walked the whole thing. Uh, I think it would have been easier if we ran, but psychologically, you know, that was such an insurmountable thing to, uh, you know, to run through. Right. Um, wow. Yeah. So I don't know, 15 hours later and sore as the next day, that was my first ultra experience of trying something and going through that recovery and that mental mindset of telling yourself, yeah. just keep going. So your mental strength is just on another level. It's, I, I've learned a huge tolerance for pain right. and discomfort. I, I believe, you know, the, that life is never going to stop punching you in the face, no matter, you know, what, what you do or where you go, mm. we're all going to deal with challenges mm -hmm. and, you know, learning how, again, to accept what you can control. I mean, th this year has been a hurdle out of, um, lots of ups and downs in, in the fall, you know, last, last summer I came up, uh, you know, with a friend, it, it's hard for me to talk people into, uh, doing challenging things, but I decided, you know, uh, I wanted a, a challenge and something to work towards. So, mm -hmm. um, 
I'd never climbed a mountain before, so we uh, planned for doing Mount Kilimanjaro, and I, uh, I did that in October. Mm. And then, um, again, with the, the people that I, uh, that I accomplished that with, uh, we wanted another challenge. So next week, we're going to go uh, hike the Swiss Alps from Chamonix, France, to Zermatt, Switzerland. How, many how high up is that one? Uh, that's mostly in, like the I, I think, like seven to 11,000 range. The oxygen is thin, but right? It, it's like it, less so than um, Kilimanjaro. Than Kilimanjaro. Okay. Kilimanjaro was nineteen thousand feet, and Jesus. basically, I was totally comfortable up until fifteen thousand feet. And then you had trouble breathing. Uh, beyond, you don't have trouble breathing. You just you have to go slow. You don't right. you don't catch your breath as quick. You feel weaker. You, you feel weaker. You get out of breath quickly. So imagine right. just moving around your tent, or you know, going to go to the bathroom, or yeah. you know, oh, even you, that tires you well, out. You just just because you have to get out of your tent, you have to walk out. Yeah. You know, when you're above fifteen thousand feet, you get fatigued much more easily than you would think. Wow. And so there's no way to train for that around here. Yeah. I mean, in the states, I mean, maybe uh, on the west coast, but where I live, you know, not as much. Yeah. So did you make it to the top? Yeah, I made it to the top. There's, there's no uh, physically, I was overtrained for it, so it wasn't okay. it wasn't as bad physically. It was just more uh, mentally. Mentally, to uh, you know, I had never really gone through an experience like that. Yeah, it took a uh, week, right? Seven days up, two days down. Oh we did God. the western approach. So you had to pack all your food. So so you bring all your all your good. They you have you have a lot of support. The uh, the porters that come you know through the the organization they cook your food and, and bring oh, everything. Okay. You have to bring all your all your gear and porters bring your your main stuff. But you have a day pack. Wow. You know, and, and your stuff and you're hiking up. So nine days without showering or <laughs> baby wiping it. But I, I learned that you know in the Marines I got used to that. I mean we had a day they. Uh, they kept bombing our water supply. Really? So we had a, a couple months where we couldn't really shower. We had to use bottled water and baby wipes for you know, almost two months. That's um, crazy. Or sometimes you get lucky and you get a cold water shower. But you know, wow. a, a lot of this, uh, a lot of this, accept what you can't control and, and try your best to move forward. Type of mindset. Yeah. So one thing that happened this year is, you know, later in the year, I had a, a German shepherd um, mm -hmm. that unfortunately out of nowhere passed away. Mm. He uh, Sorry just to hear that. suddenly had a seizure and. Had feel like our dogs are like our closest companions yeah, cause for sure. it's like the most real relationship you know i mean nothing but love yeah so just out of nowhere i had a scare with him a year before where he had a, a jaw cancer and i had to have part of his jaw removed mm. and he recovered from that and then just out of nowhere one saturday morning he started having a seizure and then had three more and i had to put him down and no forewarning or anything so that that kind of rocked my world and then um Again, uh, a couple months later, just got thrown into this situation where I, I found out uh, my ex-wife committed suicide and Whoa. had to navigate, you know, that because that stirred up all these emotions of this whole period of my life. Just, you know, I hadn't been a part of her life in 10 years, but, yeah. um, you know, tough to to process that, you know, on, on the uh, it, it gave me a lot of insight into the, the finality of, of uh, how short a period of time we have here. Yeah. You know, and and how sometimes, you know, uh, everyone I, I've dealt with a lot of people recently who have been struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts or, or things that they've been going through. And, mm. you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of a lot of young kids to bring them out of that and to the other side. And, and the uh, the challenge is, is you can't help someone when you don't know they need help. Mm. I mean, I wasn't a part of her life. And this this is just another example of. Um, you know, something where like I lost a lot of uh, Marine friends mm -hmm. to uh, suicide, whether it was alcohol or, uh, you know, gun or yeah. um, whatever path they, they chose. But, you know, you have to speak up. Mm. I mean, you can't solve a problem that you don't know exists. Right. 
And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the issue is, is we have become a society where we feel alone. Mm. You know, we've, we used to be a, a culture where we all uh, worked as a tribe. We right. had 50 people as a team working together to uh, achieve a common goal. And we've whittled it down to this isolation, uh, you know, isolating uh, culture where people, you know, look at you funny if, mm -hmm. if you do anything. Um, Get judged no matter what you do these days. I, I had an interesting interaction the other day. I was, um, uh, I was driving a convertible mm -hmm. and this kid was taking pictures of the car. And, you know, I, I said, you want to ride? And, you know, his, his eyes lit up. You know, I, I was getting coffee in the morning and I had 10 minutes to spare. And I was like, sure, I'll give you a ride. It, it, was, a, um, it was a Ferrari and he had never been in one and and i took him for a spin within two minutes of being in the car he's like you're not going to kidnap me are you <laughs> and i'm like yeah you know that that's my intent i'm gonna i'm gonna kidnap you in a yeah. in a ferrari convertible <laughs> you used to be able to hitchhike everywhere but yeah. now it's it is well, pretty dangerous it, so so this is this is the challenge that that i'm trying to solve and work on is as a society, a lot of the issues we have are the fact that we are so isolated. We don't work together. Right. We don't look, we have so much distrust towards people. I mean, think about, you know, the issues that kids are worried about right now with global warming and, and climate change, and they're trying to tackle this. But the problem is, is our selfishness as a, as a culture. We right. all consume, we all have to have, you know, uh, our own individual item of everything. Yeah. You know, how many things do you have that you could easily share with other people, but you don't? Right. You know, even cars and vehicles, we're trying to solve an issue, but everyone's going to get electric vehicles. Great. That doesn't solve the problem. That contributes to the problem. Now we have an infrastructure issue. Now we mm. have to pay, you know, how are we going to power all these things? How are we going to solve, you know, these different uh, challenges that are going to come because everyone's going to have to wait to charge their car? Yeah. You know, or get fuel or whatever it yeah, is. It's just a different problem. It's not fixing the actual problem. I no, see what you're saying. Well, if we work together, you know, if people are more open minded, if they take chances, if they communicate, if they talk, if they share, you know, when we put ourselves out there and we have more empathy towards other people, you know, one thing that I realize, we're all going through a different version of the same story. Mm. We all feel the same things. We all care about the same things. We all want the same things. When I was in Iraq, I was working on Iraqi army base mm -hmm. um, in Baghdadi, uh, which is another part of Western Iraq. And we were fortifying their base and one of the Iraqi soldiers invited me for, uh, for dinner. Mm -hmm. So I came in with a, a translator and I sat on the ground with him and I ate with him and I was just having a normal conversation. And wow. this kid, um, he used to be, uh, used to work for Al Qaeda, which was the station. So I asked him, well, you know, how, how did he switch? And he's like, well, Al Qaeda paid $400 a month. So he, he had to survive and, and, and get by. What other mm -hmm. job could he take? Then when the army came back together, you know, uh, um, a couple years later, he joined the army because the army paid 900 a month, mm. you know, and, and I'm like, well, did you want to do that? And he's like, absolutely not. He's like, I want to go to the club and I want to meet girls and I want to <laughs> party. You know, I mean, he's 20 years old. Yeah. So I think survival, you know, we, we do what we have to do based on the opportunities that we have available. And a lot of people in these other countries don't have these opportunities. But in our country, we have so many opportunities. Too many almost, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, so th that begs the question, what do you do when you have too many choices? Yeah. You know, and, and that's part of this whole drive program is figuring out, you know, uh, narrowing down your choices so that you have some motivation and right. some goal that you want to achieve love it it's been a blast man what are you working on next and where can people find you uh they can find me online we're gonna um just on my instagram uh at jeff petter and um uh, 
right now I'm going to work on uh, building a few programs to bring this out, uh, you know, to the world and to help people and travel around and, uh, you know, work with school systems mm -hmm. and kind of teach kids the financial literacy and confidence and, and tools that I feel are missing and that, that I didn't have, mm. you know, take the lessons learned. You know, one, one thing I want to tell, uh, you know, viewers watching is, you know, whatever you're feeling, you're not alone in whatever you're going through. We're all going through the same battle together. The key is, is stop being a passenger in your own car in life. You know, start driving your own car and start making choices. When you hit roadblocks, take a different perspective. Step back and find another way around because the key to success, just keep moving forward. Mm. Pick a direction and keep swimming. If you stay in the water, eventually you're going to drown. If you pick a direction, it's easy to divert and pick somewhere else. But you have to swim towards shore at some mm. point. You have to drive your own life because life will just take you along for the ride. It's never going to stop. Powerful. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you Learned so much for lot. having me. Thanks for watching, guys, and I'll see you next time.